What are we looking to see out of the team as the second half of the season approaches, specifically with the Kevin Porter Jr. Jalen Green dynamic? How concerning is the defensive regression of this Rockets team and trade opportunities for Eric Gordon and Christian Wood? What kind of return are the Rockets looking for for those two guys? Where might they be traded to? All of that coming up right here at Locked On Rockets. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. With the second pick in the 2021 NBA Draft, the Houston Rockets select Jalen Green. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep getting better every day. I'm going to keep perfecting my craft. And every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Six, five, four, three, What's up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and also host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets. And hey, we always appreciate you for making Locked on Rockets your first listen each and every day. Now, today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. Check out prizepix.com and use promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Joining us now is none other than the podfather himself, Rockets Wire editor, Ben DuBose. Ben, how are you doing, man? Pretty good, Jackson. How are you? I'm good. I'd be doing better if the state of the Rockets was, you know, a little bit better. Not that we've had, you know, any illusions of grandeur this season, but things have fallen off rather starkly compared to where we were, you know, the seven game win streak, like how innocent we were during the seven game win streak. You know, I was thinking last night, wrapping up the winless three game homestand in which none of them were competitive. I missed two weeks ago. Remember when we got so mad at the officials during the Lakers game because of, you know, the Rockets having a realistic shot, uh, Jalen Green, the Golden, that put him ahead with 230 left. And, you know, it felt like the Officials took over down the stretch. It was a fun game. I would give so much just to be mad at the officials again. But you can't be mad at the officials right now because the game isn't even competitive enough for it to matter. Exactly. And not even not even that, right? You also had like just not even too far after that, the uh the home game against the Miami Heat, in which they were also competitive. And you oh, know, yeah. the officials number 67, number 67. there came in, came in so clutch down the stretch. But um Ben, where I'd like to start today with is kind of piggybacking off of our most recent episode, which was the recap of the Minnesota Timberwolves game, but more so focusing on some big picture stuff for the for this Rockets team, and namely the dynamic between Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green. And as of late, we've kind of seen Steven Silas really sticking to mirroring the, the minutes for that duo while they're on the court. They're not very much staggered hardly at all. And as we're basically about halfway through the season now, I wonder if... I'm not ready to, again, I'm not ready to sit here and say we need to give up on the Kevin Porter Jr. experiment. Don't paint me like a, a Chris Mannix. That's not where I'm going with this. I'd very much like to still see the continue, the rest of the season dedicated to seeing what the Rockets still have with Kevin Porter Jr. But I can't yeah. help but wonder if the dynamic of, of allocating so much time and energy and investment into Kevin Porter Jr. to allow him to learn the point guard position isn't at least somewhat stunting or slowing the potential development of Jalen Green. Do you think I'm off base here? No, it's possible. I'm intrigued by staggering. And more than that, I just think you need to see what combinations work and what don't. And I think, you know, it's important to remember with Kevin Porter Jr., 
he's basically a lottery ticket. Now, he's a lottery ticket with a lot of promise. The 50 and 10 games do not grow on trees, and we know the type of talent that he has when guys like LeBron James and Kevin Durant go out of their way and Damian Lillard as well to talk about how talented he is, that's not insignificant. Guys see that, and so it's important to believe in him. But you also, you know, at a high level, they have not invested a lot in Kevin Porter Jr. They have invested a lot in Jalen Green. And so given the enormous investment cost in Jalen Green, I do think that you need to be open down the stretch of the season. Not that he's played terribly. Not well, defensively he has, but I think that's to be expected. Offensively, he has been more efficient since coming back from the hamstring and since the Rockets have largely ditched uh, the matchup against Embiid and the Sixers excluded, the Wood-Tice pairing. But I think it is important to see what combinations work and what don't because in the grand scheme, maximizing Jalen Green and his development is – the highest priority for this season. And I'm not saying that necessarily Kevin Porter Jr. is stunting that, but at the same time, you at least need to evaluate. And the flip side for that too, is that, you know, if they don't fit well together, then what's the potential role for Kevin Porter Jr.? Because we talk about him being young, he is, but this is his third year in the NBA. They are going to have a decision to make in the off season about, you know, do they engage in contract extension talks? How far would they go? What's the right dollar amount? And so I think you want to get all the data that you can. And while I think we would love it if that's the backcourt of the future, it does not have to be. You could easily have Kevin Porter Jr. in a bench role and someone else as the starting point guard a few years from now when you're trying to contend. Not saying I think that's going to happen, but when you're in this rebuild, what you're trying to do is gather data, look at all the possibilities. We've had a lot of data on KPJ and Jalen already, and I'm sure we will get more, but I think it'd be doing a disservice to both of those guys not to try and get you know, data in other groupings as well. And, you know, with Josh Christopher starting to come on and play better and they don't have another back-to-back for some time, so that's going to make it at least up until the trade deadline pretty easy to use Eric Gordon a lot in the backcourt as well. Then, yeah, we can start to evaluate because at the end of the day, this clearly is not working. And while you don't want to totally give up on it, at the same time, this is a season about experimenting, and that's one place that you can do it. I think it's worth noting that, you know, as far as Jalen Green is concerned, he's actually been a pretty productive defender when it comes to just defending in isolation, like one on one against other players. Uh, he's actually only allowed 0.39 points per possession in isolation defense this season, which puts him in the 97th percentile, uh, 10th best among all NBA players. But I will give you the fact that his the team, team defense, defense or, or help defense, the rotations, those have been just completely off base, you know, and but that's that's a team issue, right? You see that across the board with yeah. this Houston Rockets team. Christian and that's Wood acknowledges it as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that part's kind of to be expected. But Ben, I think one of the developments that I'm really hoping that we're going to be able to see as this the back half of the season gets here and hopefully post-trade deadline, right, depending on what happens with guys like Eric Gordon, like potentially Christian Wood, which we're going to talk about those two names in the third segment here uh, and some potential destinations for them. I'm really intrigued to see what this team could look like with Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green still in the backcourt together, but with Alper and Shingoon sharing mm. a bulk of the minutes with them on the floor because I do think he has the skill set to kind of be that offensive fulcrum for those two guys because you look at KPJ and Jalen Green and they kind of have very similar skill sets and that's why you have some people who are kind of the the detractors from the KPJ at point situation saying, well, yeah. he's basically you know Jalen Green, so why are you trying to shoehorn him in, into being the point guard? But if you could have those two dynamic kind of combo guards playing in conjunction with LP, I think that could look really, really good. 
Yeah, that's an interesting point because what happens too often now, since nobody's really a true point guard and they do have the ability to make plays one-on-one, they are very talented. What we see is just too much five-out isolation, which is what it devolves into a lot of the time in which the floor is spaced and it just feels like they're almost taking turns in that, you know, you haven't had a touch in a while, so we'll let you go with this matchup. And, you know, maybe they'll try and set a screen and, you know, have the person with the advantageous uh, matchup against the lesser defender do it. But either way, you're not really seeing a lot of ball movement. You're seeing guys devolve into their old habits. And maybe if Shingun is out there, it's unconventional, but, you know, you can use him. I don't want to say like Nikola Jokic, that's getting, you know, way too ahead of ourselves in terms of, um, you know, just what the impact would be. But yeah, maybe you allow those guys to do some more off-ball cutting as opposed to just what it feels like now is the ball just gets very sticky because they have players, you know, now that there's no Tice, everyone can at least somewhat create their own offense off the dribble. And it just feels like they sort of settle for that, especially when uh, they, they hit the first patch of adversity and everybody tries to get it back in one or two possessions. Coming up, I, don't, I want to talk about Steven Silas and kind of what we've seen out of him as we've progressed through this first half of the Rockets season. We're going to get there after a quick message from our friends over at Prize Picks. You've been hearing me tell you about Prize Picks for months. Have you signed up yet? Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. If you haven't checked it out yet, you are missing out. Prize Picks has the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. Prize Picks offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as bench players only recording a handful of minutes each and every game. Look, it's so easy. You pick two to five players in an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times back on any entry, and it's just you versus the projected number. So go to prizepicks.com today and use promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, thank you for making Locked on Rockets your first listen each and every day. For your second listen, go check out the Locked on Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts. Listen to Locked on Now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or watch it on the new Locked on NBA YouTube channel. So, Ben, when it comes to Steven Silas, you know, there's a point now where we're halfway through the season and there's been some significant, you know, ups and downs Mm -hmm. with Steven Silas through this season. I still kind of largely almost view this as realistically not, I don't, I don't want to call it his first season bright, but it's so hard to look at last season and try to take anything of substance from it, just with all the stuff that he dealt with last year and the COVID season and all that. So Coming into this season, you know, I kind of cleared the expectations for him, said, okay, let's let's give him a fair shot. But you have to take the chunk of the first part of the season out and throw it out the window because of the mm-hmm. double big lineup. But I do think that there's some promise that you've seen out of Silas, at least from what I'm able to take away. And I think a big part of that is even just recently, we saw how close like some of the players have become to Steven Silas and how much they trust him and how much they're yeah. able to kind of confide in him namely with Josh Christopher a name that you just mentioned uh in the first segment but Josh kind of explaining and Steven Silas explaining the other day that you know they sat down they go through the film tape one-on-one and, and we're seeing those individual developments on these players so even though it's not translating to like a team uh what do I want to say what's the word I'm looking for here even though it's not translating on a team level all the time, right? With, you know, we're, we're seeing issues with the defense and sometimes it's not, it's definitely not translating to wins right now. I think on an individual level, we're seeing development and we're seeing progress from a lot of the players on this roster. And that's something that we have to commend Steven Silas for, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think Christopher's the perfect example of a guy who is clearly better in January than he was in October. And that's what you want to see. Um, when I talk to people 
with the Rockets throughout the season, the one thing that they have constantly said to me is that, you know, they're not naive in terms of their placement in the West, their talent or lack thereof. Well, I don't know if it's so much talent, but it's just how raw it is. It's not contending level talent. And they just want to be better in the second half than they were in the first. Their goal is to be a team that in the second half, teams do not want to see. And unfortunately, right now, I do not feel like that's the case. I feel like most teams see the Rockets and they're like, wow, we can, you know, go up and put up uh, 130. And our big names, especially if they're uh, post players, can go have enormous nights. And so from that standpoint, I am curious to see these last 40 games. Are Is the team as a whole getting better? Are they responding to the coaching? I think clearly some individuals are, but at a team level, we need to see that type of progress. You know, I'll say from my perspective, I was never that worried early in the year because with a one and 16 start, as frustrating as it was, it always felt like the fix was fairly straightforward in that they were trying to do this Christian Wood, Daniel Tice, double big lineup. And in terms of the offense, it was like a square peg into a round hole. As soon as they fixed that, they were going to take off offensively. And on the defensive end, you know, the loss of Jalen Green, while it certainly hurt them in some ways, I think not having him out there, especially against the starters, uh, helped their defense during that seven-game win streak as well. And the bottom line I would say with Stephen Silas, he has enough of a pedigree. You know, keep in mind, he led as basically the offensive coordinator, the most efficient offense in NBA history with the Mavs. He has enough pedigree. I trust that he knows what he is doing on the offensive side of the ball. And it's not that there aren't problems right now. There are. But I think the problems on offense are largely, again, trying to fit certain players into certain roles. Is Kevin Porter Jr. a point guard or is he not? They're not playing John Wall because of an organizational decision, even though he would clearly be an upgrade at that spot. So I'm willing to largely give him a pass because he has enough pedigree that, you know, I trust that Steven Silas knows how to implement his scheme offensively. It's just a matter of having the right pieces and, you know, fully committed to winning uh, organizationally, which the Rockets aren't at this point in time for understandable reasons. I do, however, wonder about the defense. And, you know, I should mention, by the way, on offense is that really ever since they ditched the Wood-Tice pairing, we had about a five-week stretch from the end of November through the month of December where they were a top five offense in the league. So, and that's without having a clear superstar. So again, I trust that he can coach offense, but defensively, other than that seven game win streak, when they got to, you know, the middle of the pack, they've pretty much been dead last for the season as a whole. And again, some of this is personnel. I'm not trying to say that Steven Silas has control to make this team what it's not. They are very deficient. And when they went away from the wood Tice pairing, and now they're using Christian wood at the five and you have, you know, a young backcourt like KPJ and Jalen Green. And while both have the athleticism to handle well in one-on-one situations, the team defense, as we talked about earlier, is a bit of a nightmare. Again, I'm not throwing this at Steven Silas's feet at all. This is largely based on talent or lack thereof. With that said, from a big picture standpoint, what we don't know about Steven Silas is can he coach at a high level on the defensive side of the ball? That's, you know, from a 30,000 foot view, when Steven Silas was hired in October of 2020, he was hired because of his work largely on offense and the systems he had put in place. And they thought it'd be a pretty good um, transition from Mike D'Antoni. And to use D'Antoni as an example, we know that he really took off when he had Jeff Bezdelic as an established defensive coordinator, basically, to take the reins on that side of the ball. Maybe Steven Silas eventually needs that. I'm not saying we're at that point now. I think that would be, again, a major reach to say that the coaching staff is the reason for their struggles. But I am saying that 
when you have a team this young, what you want to see is that they play better in the second half than they did in the first. We want to see growth. This regression of late on defense is pretty alarming. Now, they were better against the Sixers. Let's give them credit on that. They've largely lost to Philly because of the offense. So hopefully that's you know a trend that holds because I trust the offense to you know bounce back a lot more than I do the defense statistically. But I would just say going forward, that is sort of the high-level thing to watch with Steven Silas. Can he get the growth from this team defensively? Not saying they're going to go from dead last to even middle of the pack. That's too much to ask. But you want to see the effort get better. You want to see them get more comfortable in their roles. Because if it doesn't, then going into the offseason, not saying it's a fireable thing. Maybe you bring in you know, someone that can basically coordinate your defense and add them to the staff. But at a high level, that is the big question with Steven Silas. How good is he on the defensive side of the ball? And that's still a very open-ended question midway through this season. I want them to bring in Jeff Bezelik in a mustache and call him Beth Jizbelik. Jizbelik? I can't even put, I can't even flip those two letters. It doesn't work that way. Anyways, <laughs> um, Ben, I, I do wonder though, how much of right because we we talk about you know the defensive side of thing and and, and the defensive side of things and how much you know we don't know about Steven Silas on that side of the ball but I do wonder right just the pedigree of the players on that end right when you're coaching so many young guys it's not yeah. I do think a lot of the struggles that we've seen through the majority of this season haven't necessarily been for lack of effort on the defensive yeah. side of the ball like it's it, this this is a young team that does tend to play hard there are moments right where you see kevin porter jr or christian wood kind of hanging their head not getting back in transition and you know those moments are definitely mental lapses and those are things that those young guys have to work through and i say young guys with christian wood but i think from an nba maturity yes. standpoint christian wood is definitely still young even though he's 26 years old so working past those that's definitely a mental thing and a component that they've got to get past but overall this team it feels like they do play hard they're just they're they're so naive on the defensive side of things yeah. so what do you think is a realistic bar for, from now to the tail end of the season like if we're yeah. sorting advanced stats on nba.com are you hoping that they make it you know to like the 20th spot defensively like what do you think is a realistic goal for this team well i will say that you know i'm a big fan of breaking it down you know, month by month and looking at the growth from one to the next like i don't want to say you know X spot for the season as a whole, because obviously that's going to be relative to the 42 games that are already in the books. And I think at this point, they're so far down the list. What I will say is that, you know, I do want to see a couple of stretches where they're not bottom five, where you can look at a 10 game stretch and say that, you know, just like the seven game win streak, when, when they won those seven in a row, they were number 16, I believe, in defense over that period. Maybe you have a couple more stretches. It's not just the seven and zero, but you know at least a sustained period of I would say five to ten games where definitely you're not in the bottom five, and maybe you're not in the bottom ten. I think that's reasonable to get back to a couple more stretches, and hopefully those sort of um, build into where even if you have a you know a relapse of old habits, you don't fall all the way back down. Maybe you know the downstretch in between you. Um, you know, fall to just 25 instead of 30, something along those lines. I think those are fair parameters. And, you know, to your point about uh, the effort, I do think it's worth noting that Silas, the past few post games has been, you know, even when they're giving up 130, 140, he would say, you know, the energy wasn't there, but, you know, he was hesitant to say that they weren't trying. And I think that's fair. And, you know, we should point out they've had a ridiculous amount of back-to-backs. They just finished up a three and four stretch. So there is a lot going on. Of course, they had the KPJ and Christian Wood situation recently as well. So there's a lot of sort of emotional baggage that comes with that. So 
I think he's been very careful to sort of draw the line between, you know, what's bad execution and what's bad effort. And I think, you know, if you squint hard enough, and I do think they played well, uh, or at least better on that end against Philadelphia, that you can see some things to take out of it. And to me, the big thing is just communication. That's what they're not doing. They just do not talk on the defensive end of the court. They do not know who's picking up who on these switches. They do not trust that their teammates, and it's hard to blame them at this point, are going to do what they need to do. So a lot of guys get caught sort of in no man's land because they feel like they can't trust the guy next to them to do what he's supposed to do. And they're just not very, um, you know, together at all on that end of the court. And, you know, that's the kind of thing where, Again, you know, you got to learn by experience, but it's also practice. It's also teaching. And that's what you want to see. You know, I'm not saying it's fair to put it all on the coaching staff, but you do want to, you have half the season still left. I mean, it feels like the season's moving pretty quickly, but you still got 40 games left. That's a lot of time. And so I do think that that's something a coaching staff should be able to improve, at least to a small extent. And I think it's something that the organization expects. Again, that's what I've been told throughout the year is that they want to be a team that is clearly better in the second half than the first. They want to be a team that, other opponents around the league do not uh, want to draw them as an opponent, I should say. And so I think part of that is evaluating the coaching staff as well. So while I don't put most of the blame on Steven Silas, at the same time, it is something that I'm sort of keeping an eye on as we go to the, the home stretch of the season. Coming up, we're going to talk about the potential for trade deadline moves regarding Eric Gordon and Christian Wood, what a potential return would look like for one or both of those guys. We're going to get there after a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar, because Built Bar makes it easy to stick to your New Year's resolutions. It tastes just so good. It's going to be so much easier to stick to your New Year's resolutions this time around, right? Because their protein bars are so great. They're not chalky or gritty like other protein bars on the market, and the flavors, oh, we've got so many amazing flavors to choose from. Strawberry, cookies and cream, mint brownie, peanut butter, my personal favorite, coconut brownie chunk. You can't can't go wrong with a single flavor on their menu and you can check them out just go to built.com and use promo code lock 15 to get 15 off your very next order of the best tasting protein bars on the market again that's promo code lock 15 for 15 off at built.com and another message from our friends over at betonline.ag because betonline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022, new year, and a new updated desktop and mobile website where if you sign up today using promo code LOCKEDON, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, you get a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code LOCKEDON. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, thank you for making Locked on Rockets your first listen each and every day. Now, for your second listen, go check out Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q, with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. Wherever you listen to this podcast, you can listen to Locked on Bets. Rounding third, headed for home with Rockets Wire editor Ben DuBose. Now, Ben, when it comes to... Eric Gordon and Christian Wood. I think those are the two names largely for the Rockets, right? That are going to be circulating in trade rumors as things start to heat up on that front uh, with the trade deadline coming up, you know, right around the corner, less than a month away now, February 10th, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. I think it's February 10th. Um, so we've got less than a calendar month away from the NBA trade deadline. 
I think Eric Gordon is a guy that he has shown so much this season, having one of his mm-hmm. arguably one of his best seasons, if not possibly his best season as a pro in a long, long time. He's a guy that would immediately put any potential playoff team, I think, kind of over the top. And yeah. I, I largely believe he's a guy that the Rockets view that they can acquire. At least we've got to be talking at least a first round draft pick, maybe more in a trade for him. What kind of return are you looking for in an Eric Gordon deal? Yeah, I would say the first rounder without taking back any bad money. That's my goal. And that's why, you know, the deal that's gotten thrown around, Bobby Marks proposed it in his article today of Ricky Rubio, who's out for the season on an expiring contract, plus a lottery protected first round pick from Cleveland. I think that's reasonable. Getting a first round pick without taking back any bad money. And when I say not bad money, I mean, perhaps it's a contract that's not expiring and runs through next season, but no money that goes beyond the season and a half that's currently left on Eric Gordon's deal, i.e. you're not in a worse position financially than you were uh, beforehand, so that basically the value is exclusively tied to the pick. And yeah, right now he's worthy of a first-round pick, and you know, as much as I'll hate losing him because of, the, uh, well, not just his play, but the memes. Um, <laughs> that's going to be is, the thumbnail for this yes, episode. Yes, that's got to be the I've thumbnail. There it is. All right. I had to hold it for an extra second so that I can go clip that as the thumbnail. (laughs) But, you know, I I do think it's going to happen just because they're never going to get better value than what he has right now. I think it's worthy of a first, but at his age, there's no real reason to sort of hold on to him for the offseason. He's healthy now, knock on wood. Um, Hopefully that continues and he's healthy. Well, I mentioned he's healthy, but also he's shooting nearly 45% from three. So, you're never going to get a better time to move him than right now. And he's the guy that typically goes for a premium in season rather than off season because he's a very win now veteran piece. So yeah, I'd be surprised if he did not move. I think his market is underrated badly on NBA Twitter because for some reason people cannot get their heads around the fact that that last year of his contract (laughs) is just, I don't know why this is so hard to understand, but he's not going to be an all-star. The only way that third year conveys is if the team trading for him wins the NBA championship. And that's the entire damn point. So yeah, it's so frustrating to discuss Eric Gordon trades on Twitter because people don't understand the contract. That's a, you know, great incentive put in by Daryl Morey. And it's funny, you know, Morey watched the first quarter with me and uh, David Wiener, Bima Thog at Toyota Center last night. And we both told him that. Thank you so much for that incentive because it helps, you know, it's so perfect and that it allows, you know, Gordon and his agent to say we got X amount of years to the point where it's confused the market and to think he's making that much money. When in reality, we all know that it's much more friendly to the team, the Rockets now, but in this case, whoever he would be trading uh, traded to. So I just think he'll go for the best offer. You've just got to take it, I think, and hope it's a first. But regardless, you do a deal at the deadline. Uh, Christian Wood, I, I'm sort of on the fence. Well, I, I, I will I will throw in there before we move before we move on to Christian Wood. I will throw in okay. there. There's a couple other teams. Uh, I do think Atlanta and Toronto are some interesting destinations for mm-hmm. Eric Gordon as well. Some other teams sure. kind of vying for the playoffs, having those aspirations, and they've got contracts that you could conceivably match up as well as draft picks that they could throw back this way. Like you said, the the no bad money coming back, and then selfishly, I think this is a team that. It might be harder to make it work financially, but I think that selfishly, you and I would both love to see Eric Gordon get sent to the desert to go play with oh, Chris yeah. Paul and the Phoenix Suns. So fun. Uh, Perfect fit. And see, so, but past that, let's go. Let's go, Christian Wood now because he's the other guy that, you know. And this one's less so. I think, I think the writing is kind of on the wall for Eric Gordon and the fact that the Rockets are probably going to be shopping him very heavily at this deadline. Whereas with Christian Wood, you know, apart from the you know, dissatisfaction of Christian Wood amongst Rockets fans, you know, that's one where 
you don't necessarily know exactly where he stands in the eyes of the organization, right? Are they going to shop him heavily at the deadline? Are they just willing to listen to calls yeah. on him where, where we stand with him right now? But there are some well, interesting teams out there. Yeah, and the Bobby Marks article that I referenced at ESPN for Eric Gordon had mentioned uh, Wood going to the Knicks for Mitchell Robinson, Kimball Walker, and a couple of first-round picks from Dallas and Charlotte that are protected. A lot of people on Rockets Twitter were all over that package. I'm actually a little more hesitant. I'm not saying I wouldn't take it, but you know, there's a tendency I found in the NBA to treat draft picks like the same way that say they're treated in the NFL, which is that a first round pick, no matter what it is, is really, really good. And that's not really the case. Like the Dallas and Charlotte picks, I think one of them is protected one through 10. The other is lottery protected. The other thing too, is that Dallas and Charlotte are potential playoff teams this year. So even if they weren't protected, they're probably not going to be very good picks. And I would just say that in the NBA, which is a, you know, a quality over quantity league, I would think that the Rockets are shooting higher, i.e. trying to get one premium asset. I don't know if it's really reasonable now, but, you know, when we talked about these Christian Wood to the Warriors hypotheticals in the past, people, people have talked about Kuminga, people have talked about um, Wiseman as, you know, centerpieces to offers. I don't know how reasonable that is anymore, but I think the foundation of that makes sense in that, it, you know, what you're looking for from a Houston perspective. Whereas that next deal, you know, it looks good on paper, just the abstract two first-round picks. But in reality, if they're two, you know, mid to late first-round picks, I mean, it's not terrible. I'm not saying I would never do it, but I would think that Rothfell Stone is shooting, you know, given Christian Wood's age, the fact that he's still on a very good contract for, you know, an asset that's closer to one premium asset as opposed to, you know, to mid-tier. And as far as what I do it, you know, obviously it's tough to say because we don't know the conversations that have been had behind the scenes in terms of the next contract, what he's looking for, are they potentially in alignment on what that might look like. But the other factor that's really interesting in this to me, part of the decision on Christian Wood is tied to your organizational timeline. And so inherently that's also tied to pieces outside of Christian Wood. I, you know, is it worth where this all comes down to it? He's a free agent in 2023. Is it worth potentially giving him a larger deal than he has now? Does that make sense with the puzzle you're trying to put together to make this team a contender again at some point by, we hope, the mid-2020s? And some of that depends on, you know, what happens elsewhere in the organization. And I will say, you know, I want to be careful on how I say this. This is not a good conversation for Twitter because it's nuanced. Somebody's going to aggregate you yeah. and say, Ben DuBose hates Christian Wood. Like, it's going yeah. to happen. <laughs> I'm not down in, from the standpoint of, you know, I'm saying, oh, I'm out on Kevin Porter Jr. or out on Jalen Green. But I will say some of the most optimistic scenarios from before the season aren't panning out. They at least haven't to this point. Now, I'm not saying they won't. They're both still very young. But I think, you know, with KPJ, the bottom line, he's just not very efficient right now. And, you know, I've, you know, I've been giving him the benefit of the doubt on Twitter. Whenever people point that out, I, I note that, look, you know, he's he's six foot six. He's very smart. He's got great footwork. He should finish better on these drives. He's getting good looks. He should eventually draw fouls at a higher rate. But at some point, he's got to do that. And it, to this point, we're halfway through the season. He hasn't. Now, in fairness, KPJ, he's you know, missed a lot of the season with the thigh injury. But, uh, you know, he has not had that huge breakthrough in year three, at least not to this point, that a lot of people were hoping for. And, you know, he did have the incident with, you know, leaving the New Year's game against Denver early and the subsequent suspension. And last night, he had the frustration flagrant too that led to him getting ejected early. 
I'm not saying that he can't work out, but what I'm saying is that it doesn't feel like he's on the cusp of an immediate jump into the kind of stardom that before the year, if you squinted hard enough, you can say, hey, you know, he's going to take off where he left off with the 50 and 10 game. Not saying it can't happen, but it's still in progress. And I think, you know, we can say the same thing with Jalen Green. There's no reason to jump off the bandwagon and say that, you know, he's a well, certainly not a wasted pick, but some people are trying to say, you know, he'll never be better than Evan Mobley. No, it's way too young. We've talked about that before. He's 19 years old. He's still filling out his body. But at the same time, you know, the defensive lapses, um, his penchant for turnovers, the inconsistent ability as a creator, the shooting has been better since he came back from the hamstring injury. That's a good sign. I guess where I'm going with that is that KPJ and Jalen, while I'm still bold long-term in terms of how talented they are, it doesn't feel like anything is super imminent in terms of either of those guys taking the jump into truly being, say, you know, the best or even second best player on a good team, that type of thing. Um, so with that, it does make me a little more skeptical as to whether it's going to make sense um, in 2023 to give Christian Wood, you know, not saying it would make sense under any circumstances, because if he takes a sweetheart deal, you do it. I mean, even if he doesn't fit your long-term plan, if he takes a sweetheart deal, whatever, you can just trade him later. But, you know, if he wants, you know, a raise, a decent one over what he's being paid now, in my opinion, whether I would want to do that somewhat depends on, okay, is this team by 2023 ready to start, you know, the clear climb up? And, you know, I don't want to say I'm super, you know, skeptical of that, but I will say I'm not quite as optimistic as I could have been a few months ago because some of the issues with KPJ and Jalen, not that they can't be worked out, but, you know, they're young, they're raw, and it's going to take time. And whether that timetable works out with Christian you know, I, I don't know. I hope it does. But at the same time, we're now halfway through the season and obviously it's still a work in progress. I've argued that that kind of that same point, right, is, you know, there was a very optimistic timetable. If you look at Jalen Green and if he kind of pans out using him as kind of the timetable here, if he pans out mm -hmm. and hits that third year jump kind of a la Trey Young, John ja Moran, mm -hmm. Luca, kind of what we're seeing out of those guys and hits his max potential around that year, then you argue, okay, well, Christian Wood would be around 29, maybe 30 around that same time mm -hmm. that Jalen Green is hitting kind of that, that, you know, junior year threshold where he's really playing at an all NBA caliber level. And if you're at that point, if you can get Christian Wood on a, not necessarily a max deal, but a, you know, you give him his payday, but he maybe takes a bit of a, you know, a bit of a discount to stay here in Houston, then maybe you argue, yeah, you keep Christian Wood long-term because he's a great complimentary piece mm -hmm. to Jalen Green, to Kevin Porter Jr. Ben, if I were to ask you right now, based on what we've seen out of Christian Wood to this point, what number would you be comfortable guaranteeing him on a four-year deal at the end of this current deal? How much would you be willing to like pay him per year, like right now, if I were to ask you? So this is one thing that actually benefits the Rockets very well. For me, at this point, because again, I would need to feel very confident that it's a positive deal for the team in terms of his trade value. I would give him the Eric Gordon contract. The max he's eligible for, I believe is four years, 77 million. So right at, you know, a little under 20 in average annual value. That's what I would be willing to give him right now. And that's, I'm not saying that that's necessarily, you know, the best deal that he could argue for. What I'm saying is it's the best deal that I would offer from the standpoint of, you know, Christian Wood at below 20 million in average annual value. I feel pretty confident that he would have at least neutral trade value on that deal. 
I think given his the fact that he's over two years in Houston, he basically averaged 19 points and 10 boards a game. He's fairly efficient as a shooter. He's still developing defensively. I think Christian and his agent would probably say, hey, we think this is a guy who's worth, you know, in the 20s. And he might be, but I'm personally not comfortable um, giving him that at this time because based on the timetable or the lack of clarity in the timetable, as we were just discussing, I don't know that that deal would have wouldn't be negative trade value. So I guess the way I would say it, you know, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going by the Bobby Marks article today, I believe Wood's maximum extension range would be like four years, 76 million, basically what Eric Gordon was eligible for um, in 2019. And that's basically the max of what I would give. I would not go over 20 in annual average annual value because to me, at this point, anything over 20 is too uncertain. That's fair. And I, that, that's uh, maybe a little bit, because uh, again, it's it's tough because, right, because you have the extension amount that he can do versus, you know, he becomes a free agent and you just re-sign him to hit whatever the, you know, not the extension amount, but the like yeah. actual like free agent amount, which is, you know, if he's trying to find max money on the market, then that's what he's going to want to do is test the free agency water and, and see what happens, which yeah. is why we're having these discussions about whether or not the Rockets need to be yeah. entertaining these trade, trade offers right the now, way- which is... I think part of the issue. Yeah. And by the way, one further point on the contract. So he would be able to sign that in this coming off season. That is a potential reason why I do think you could see Raphael Stone more patient with Christian Wood than with Eric Gordon, because I do think you can revisit the talks in the summer. Like there's no way he's going to commit already. Well, number one, I don't believe he's even eligible to sign it right now, but I don't see any way that he would commit to a deal within those, you know, four years, $77 million parameters at this point. You, you know, your best case is that it gets to the offseason. We see what his numbers look like over the past couple of years. And maybe he wants the stability or maybe he's willing to, you know, bet on himself and go into that contract year. You know, you wait and see. But that could be a reason, if it's at all possible, why you'd be more patient than you would with Eric. You know, as I mentioned with Eric, it's just sort of like whatever the best deal is at the February 10th deadline, that's, you know, truly the best you're going to get. As opposed to with Christian Wood, it's not just what the best deal is. You're also balancing what the best deal is versus these scenarios where maybe you keep him. And if the deals available aren't really blowing you away, I mean, I think you could definitely move Christian at the deadline if you get blown away by an offer. But like to use that Bobby Marks one, it seemed to blow away some people on Twitter. It didn't really blow away me because it struck me again as sort of a you know, a quantity over quality deal, especially because Mitchell Robinson's about to become a free agent as well. So he has almost no value there. And then the picks aren't going to be that good. So if it's something like that, I'm not convinced that even though he'd be an expiring, I think you could get something like that in the off season as well. So if it comes down to something where the offer is kind of, eh, you know, maybe you squint hard enough, it's worth taking it, that I could see Raphael Stone saying, you know what, let's just roll this to the off season. We can see where things are with a future contract. And then, you know, if we can't come to terms on the contract, then you know what, we can still get an offer similar to, say, that uh, New York proposal in the offseason. That's sort of where I am on it. That's kind of that's kind of been my mentality over about this last month or so up until, obviously, the halftime incident. That kind of pushed me a bit more towards, the, okay, maybe see what you can get for him this deadline. Maybe it's putting, you know, a bit more urgency on, you know, getting Christian Wood out the door. Um, but I was kind of straddling the fence there on whether or not, you know, it was a necessity to try to move him at this deadline, which is where I feel a lot of Rockets Twitter is currently sitting is, oh, we got to move on from Christian Wood because Alper and Shingun is the future. But I agree with you. I think that they they have time to figure out what they want to do with him. But Ben, always a pleasure to have you on the pod. You know the drill. Everybody knows where to track you down at. 
Yep, Ben Jubo's on Twitter, the Rocketswire on Twitter, and uh, rocketswire.usatoday.com if you want to go direct to the site. Thanks for stopping by, Ben. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for today's episode. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also check us out on YouTube, search Locked on Rockets on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. Where would you like to see Eric Gordon and Christian Wood sent to? What kind of return are you looking for for those two players? Let us know in the comments on YouTube. As always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.